Namaste, motherfuckers, and welcome to Tantric Conversation, episode number 74, Billy Christopher Maupin. Uh, Billy Christopher is a director and an actor and a creative director of Fifth Wall Theater, as well as founder of Fifth Wall Theater with Carol Pearsall. He's currently got a production of Carrie the Musical going on. And uh, that is going to be running until Saturday. And I'm getting this up on Wednesday, so you got you got three days to go see it. Highly recommend it. You should go check that out. We talk about it a bunch, and he gives us a little insight into it. Um, I hope I plan to be there Saturday. I really hope I can make it. And this was a really great conversation. I am really excited to post it. I'm so excited to post it that I brought all my stuff with me to Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, where I am sitting in a residence inn by Marriott for work. And uh, this has been actually, for a business trip, staying in a hotel, this has been a great time. Uh, I got here on Monday, and I was meeting some of the dudes that I uh, just hired to do the thing around here. And I walked into the breakfast room, and I thought I saw somebody I recognized, and it turned out I did see somebody I recognized. Two different sets of cousins and their families just happened to be in the same hotel at the same time as me. I had four of my little, you know, second cousins once removed, I think that's what you call them. Or no, first cousins once removed, and then I had first cousins here. And so when I was done with work, we went to Hershey Park and we rode roller coasters, which I've been thinking all summer I really needed to do. I needed some primal scream therapy. I needed to do something that was really scary simulated so I could get out of this rut of, like, panic and stress and fear that I have been in for a hunk of this summer that just kind of got on me. It just settled on me and weaseled its way into me and, like, just fucking infested me. And it felt like all I needed to be bitch slapped by something to get it out of me. And, you know, in some of these previous podcasts, I've mentioned other steps I've taken by just fucking telling the truth about how I'm feeling. And I don't, you know, nobody really wants to do that. Nobody really wants to say to their friends and their families that I'm bummed out, I'm depressed, I'm not feeling good. Um, please help. Because, you know, I don't know. Well, there are lots of reasons why that is. And pride's a big, big part of it. And one of the great gifts also of being here and just happening to find my family is that I was just hanging out with them two or three weeks ago down in on the Ware River near Gloucester, Virginia. And I was really like, just couldn't talk about anything other than this one particular thing that I've been chewing on for a month or two. And, and like, I had this one voice in my head going, there you go again, you're making it all about you. People are down here trying to have a good time out in the sun, trying to swim, trying to go sailing. And have a little fun in summer, and you're sitting there, Captain Bring Down, crying and whining about the stuff that's bothering you, and you need to buck up and just fucking take the back seat and let let people enjoy themselves and just deal. But I, I didn't, and I I talked about to my cousins, the ones that actually ended up being here. And while we're over at the amusement park, I said, you know, I'm kind of sorry that I did that, you know, when we were down there at the river. And she said, well, the hell are you talking about i am so happy to hear that you are an adult with a heart that is like feeling these things and you're talking about these things and sharing it was great it was a, a great opportunity to connect with you 
you know, and talk to you about this stuff. And I'm like, there you go. You never fucking know what people are really thinking. And I don't know where I got this message that I'm supposed to not have feelings, you know, <laughs> but I got it. And I mean, it, I could trace all the way back to being a kid when like my sister and I were swinging on this big ass, super duper high swing that we had that hung from a tree down at our little country place that belonged to the family and it broke while she and I were swinging on it and we both went hurtling to the ground and uh, I hit the ground first and she landed on top of me and I can still remember to this day as she was screaming bloody murder and the entire family was like huddled around her seeing if she was alright and I was actually the one that took the full force of the fall and I was just walking off you know walking it off you know rub some dirt on it and nobody noticed that I was hurt and uh you know, I mean, look, this is this whole podcast, Billy and I are talking about, you know, what you do to find comfort, what you do to uh, understand, what you do to explore the existence. You may check out a little, some spirituality, check out various kinds of organized religion, get into some art, maybe if that fulfills you more. But, um, you know, the seeking is, is really important. And I'm somebody right now in my life that I have the doors wide open to the possibilities of spirituality. I'm a logical, reasonable, scientific guy, you know, but I'm wide open to that. And I think it's really important to be wide open to that because it allows something into you that just doesn't come through the reason door. It doesn't come through the logic door. It doesn't come through the thinking door. It comes through this other receptor that is your, for lack of a better word, your God receptor, your higher power receptor your spirituality receptor and we have them as an antenna you know everybody's got this antenna whatever signal you want to tune into and pick up is your choice but you know when i've when i'm tuned in my station when i'm doing all the right things when i'm you know making the right actions i'm opening myself i'm meditating i'm doing yoga and stuff shit happens like i go to a random hotel it's not even the hotel i usually stay at in harrisburg pennsylvania and I find my family there, and I get to go have fun with them. I get to go 75 miles an hour on a roller coaster and scream my bloody head off and to, like, be surrounded by loving family and friends and cousins and be made to feel okay, you know? Because I was open to that, and it and the synchronicity lined up, and there it was. And, um, you know, if you don't believe in that st- kind of thing, I feel sorry for you because it's, it's red. It happens. It's real. It's out there. And it's tantric. And this conversation I had with Billy was just full of that kind of connecting to Billy Christopher. I'm sorry, you don't just call him Billy. You call him Billy Christopher, you call him BC, straight up. And uh, we had a great sit down on a Sunday afternoon and talked about all kinds of stuff. And I think it was about love. And it's all you need, right? All right. model of this podcast is that we just let it happen, right? So part of the nervousness is that maybe nothing's going to happen, you know, but, uh, that's probably likely (laughs) it's, it's up to, it's up to me to try to make something happen. I just brought this chair in here though. I'm not sure about it. It's kind of low. Yeah. (laughs) When I, when I relaxed, I was looking at you over the keyboard. I mean, over the monitor of this thing. Well, We'll be good. Okay. So let's see. Talk into that mic a little bit. 
This is me talking into the mic. That's good. Okay. And you can hear me really. I kind of like the headphones thing because you can really hear yeah, me definitely. in your ears. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like I'm on Howard Stern or something right now. It's kind of like that, except not as funny. <laughs> <laughs> we not shall as, see. <laughs> I'm not as funny. You anyway. might surprise yourself. Yeah. Uh, so how's Carrie going? Uh, it's going great. The cast is amazing. The band's amazing. There's blood. It's really cool. There's blood? Yeah. Uh, did you use pig's blood or? Is oh, that what they... Yeah, we killed a whole bunch of pigs. Yeah, no, not really. <laughs> it's in the in the movie they dumped pig's blood. Yeah, it's pig's blood. Right? Like yeah. that's the, but it, clearly you know it's not right. actual. <clears throat> Somebody did some research though into how many pigs. It, apparently, there's. I'm just pulling this number out of nowhere, but it was like there's only half a gallon of blood in a right. pig, so you'd have to get a lot of pigs to make that happen. <laughs> So and and a bunch of shitty high school girls probably wouldn't have had access to that many pigs, right? Yeah. You know. Well, there's you know, dudes farm old McKinty. Oh, is that where they get the? Okay. Yeah. I'm not. I'm not. I'm kind of hazy on the details of that story. Yeah. Actually, I think, and I did read the original book. That's great. And, and then, I love the novel. Yeah, that was like his first mm-hmm. first one he got published anyway. Yeah. Right. And he almost threw it away. Like he did throw it away, and his wife pulled it out of the whatever number of pages he had out of the trash can. And was oh, like, really? No, you, this is you have something here, but you need to get more to the female perspective. And apparently, she was like really instrumental in that. And when he talks about her, it's amazing how Stephen King talks about his wife. It's like so in love with her. Yeah, Tabitha, my deep dark chest of secrets, or something. He de- <laughs> dedicates these books to. Yeah. So, what made you want to? I have a lot of questions about this. So, I'm right. going to be in, in, in very disarray, in disarray, no order. Sweet. But I, I like that. Now, first, okay. So, first, I was looking at the website, and one of the what, one of the gores is involved with the music. Uh-huh. Is that a gore that was in the Good Guys or local musician? Like, no, no. Okay. I mean, unless he left and went to New York and is no, probably not doing then. something no. else now. There was a, a pair of brothers. Harry Gore was one of them, and I forget the other one's name was. But they had a band in the '80s in Richmond. Anything's possible, guys, I guess. But... There's like a tunnel between Richmond and New York. Oh so... yeah, it, yeah. Exactly. This one is Michael Gore. So I don't know. We Who might knows? have to look into that later, or or later. Uh, Google it or <laughs> yes. something. So, um, is this? Did you guys come up with this production yourselves, or was this? Was there a template already for doing a musical of? carrier indeed there was actually it opened in um on broadway in the late 80s and was kind of it, is, it still is renowned as like the most infamous flop in broadway history because it <laughs> ran for five performances it, it finished its preview period but then i think closed the same weekend it opened even though apparently the audiences were like standing ovations and they loved it but the critics just tore it apart and so they closed the show after i think five five performances and then it just sat there collecting dust until 2012. And during that time, people, theaters all over the country were like, we want to do Carrie. We want to do this campy, you know, uh, infamous show and mm-hmm. present it as this piece of camp. And the writers were like, no, that's not – this is not what we intended. It's not what we wanted. So, no, you can't have it. And then in 2012, they got together with a new director and revamped it and took out some songs and added some songs and really – reshaped the way that the story is told and put it really through Sue Snell's eyes, who is the, the quote unquote Her nice friend. girl. Yeah. Yeah. And so <clears throat> it made it not campy. It's still very dark, but it's taken a very different tone. And so this, what's published now and what you license when you produce Carrie is, is very close to the, the off Broadway production from 2012. Although there are some 
notable differences in mm-hmm. particularly in Chris, the quote unquote mean girl, the end of her song in the New York production had like a big musical theater ending and in the what's now licensed she there's that and then everybody leaves and she has this very introspective moment in the song that's really stunning. Mm-hmm. Um but it's pretty close to the A revival. moment of conscience. Yeah. Uh-huh. But then she could still clearly goes on and does what she does. Yeah. But it gives it a lot more humanity, I think, than the, the than the original, which is what I really love about it. It's really about the kids, and there's still Margaret. There's still Carrie's mother, who's um, Andrea Rivet, who's playing Margaret. She and I talked about it a lot from the beginning. It's like she's not crazy. She has this, but has this duality of I love this my daughter, mm-hmm. but I also have this conviction, this set of religious beliefs that require these things of me, and the dichotomy of her fighting those two things kind of fighting each other inside her mm-hmm. that lead her to do the things that she does and it's a really andrea does a really gorgeous i think it's probably not that i've seen every margaret white ever but it's probably the i would think one of the more nuanced portrayals of that character that have probably ever mm-hmm. existed which is a grand statement to make but i think it's probably true it's really you know it, it strikes me there's a lot of things there that i just before you got here, there's a show on my radio down there. Um, I think it's on Being, but it has a different host today. So I was kind of curious about that. But it's a guy kind of talking about all the various, like the idea that there could be dialogue between all the different people who uh, who really believe in a particular scripture or believe in a particular, um, you know, uh, text mm-hmm. in regards, you know, whether it's Islam or Judaism or Christianity, and. How, you know, if you really believe that stuff, then in order to protect your child, what you would really want to do is keep them from eternal damnation. And if you believe that this book right. is like honestly telling you how to do that, then yeah, that would, that in, makes you behave a certain way and you can't really compromise on right. it, you know? And you kind of wonder if, if that mother character, <laughs> is she insane because, um, I mean, it's her behavior out of sync with no- the norm because she believes so fervently in this or does she believe so fervently <laughs> in that because oh interesting you know? i think there's a lot of and we we talked some about margaret's backstory that doesn't mm-hmm. exist in the text like right. we don't see margaret as a child and how she was raised and etc but clearly that's something that uh, you talk about with director to actor and the foundation of what that is so we kind of decided and it, it's definitely supported in the text that Margaret had some incident with Carrie's father or, and, or with other men, Mm -hmm. um, probably in the form of rape and which may have led to her, uh, subscribing to this belief system in a way to, uh, save herself. And then she's pregnant. And then, and in the novel, there's a lot more of that. Cause you know, clearly in the novel you can have, it's like when you make a book into a movie, there's so much more stuff in the book. Cause you get to have the thoughts of the character and you can allude to something that gets your imagination to run away with it. Right. Right. Fill in what your associations would be. It's, that is a, like, it's interesting that Stephen King being who he was at that time would, you know, get into all of this with women, uh-huh. you know, and cause this is some, it's some real complex shit right. in general, like right. in, in the high school Lord of the Flies kind of mean girl mm-hmm. dynamic. I mean, my mother said to me in middle school that there's nothing on this earth meaner than a adolescent girl. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> so get used to that. Right. You know? That's really that is interesting. That's yeah, and I don't know the uh, the things that the things that people's belief systems do to them. You know, it's not just a matter of belief; it becomes a matter of programming. You know, 
it's not a conscious i mean especially if you're young when you get sure you know when somebody has put done this number on you and told you these things are going to happen and god's going to do this and the devil's going to do right that and you just, right you know it's even if you get it when you get it once you get educated you're kind of stuck with this um initial formatting right like, you know well and, i mean i guess like anything else it's really up to us to take the knowledge that we have and decide which of it is true and which we throw out as not having not not accepting it because i certainly had i was raised very very christian and certainly i'm no longer but it's at some point there was that for me anyway it was a began as a series of questioning and exploring a lot of different christian beliefs and churches and things which then led to you know when i was going to church like seven times a week oh um, that very christian yeah but that was my choice like it mm-hmm. wasn't like my parents were dragging me like i would go to my dad's church which was a church of god and then the church with my mom that was baptist and i would go to a pentecostal church on saturday nights and i would sometimes go with my friend to a methodist church and on tuesday nights for a while i went to a jehovah's witness kingdom hall that one was <laughs> very interesting um and then even within all of those belief systems Supposedly basing the, their their system of beliefs on the same book, mm-hmm. there were huge differences. Yeah. And even within one belief system, there were things that would contradict each other. Mm-hmm. And then when I ask the leaders of the church, like the pastor, I'm like, how does how does this and this how are these both true simultaneously? And I frequently didn't get a satisfactory answer. So that led me to question that system of beliefs that I had been. I, I find program to be a, kind of a harsh way of saying it, but you know, kind of. And so that led to me choosing my own. Well, whatever path. happens to you, whether it, whether you, a, a Christianity is a program, which I guess it kind of, you know, it kind of is, but whatever happens to you in your, in your formative years, like we, we don't worry about it. This is like the zine of podcasting. So if, Great. It, if it makes noise, in fact, I'm really enjoying this conversation so far, but I'm like worried about this how high it's going and i don't want it to my too loud no you're not. i just need to twiddle the knobs and i really need somebody else to do this so i can concentrate <laughs> on what we're talking about so why did you um so you recognize that about christianity and you recognize that about the faith that you were being introduced to and i'm really psyched that we talk about this you know it's sunday and we can get into <laughs> this, this stuff a little bit um as long as my mom doesn't listen to this, we'll be okay. <laughs> it's totally okay with coming well, out as gay to my might. mom, but she still doesn't know that I left the church, I think. Oh, really? Interesting. It's like, why am I okay with this, but not with this? Oh, that's scary. Well, yeah, parents, it's, you know, you know what? You never know what your parents know and what they're okay with. You know, there's a lot of us. That's true. It's a whole other thing. That's very you know? true. Because right. at one point I was fucking up a lot and like I was really trying to keep my parents out of the awareness of how much I was fucking up because mm-hmm. I just thought it would upset them. Right. And so I, I confided in an uncle, you know, and I was like, look, I need you to take my truck. I can't, you know, it's, I, I, my license is revoked. All this stuff's going on. I just want you to put it in your garage for a little while. And, and, um, but I don't want you to tell my dad. And he's mm-hmm. like, I can't do that. You gotta listen, man. You gotta your dad. You gotta tell your dad this. Stuff. That's your best friend. You know, right. there's nobody who gives a shit more about you than your parents. And I'm, trust me, your dad probably already knows. The dude was in the army. He get you know he knows what's up. Mm-hmm. You know, and it was a, it was a real opportunity to. Uh, How did that go? Know. It went well. I mean, it really did. Sort of. Um, I wasn't asking him to bail me out with all of that shit, but he did. And like you, you know, at some point you do have to get off your pride, right. you know, because that's really. What it was, and let somebody help you. Sure, you know? especially your parents. You can't let your parents help you. you. Can't let anybody. That was a that's a nice little 
little digression uh-huh. here. There's a lot of stuff on my mind this morning. Apparently. You're, you're like dropping it. into. Because you know? <laughs> the whole thing about – well, and I'll just tell you this really quick since you're here and we're talking. That I – you know, it didn't occur to me that to really have good friendships with people, you got to tell them the truth about what's bothering you. Yeah. You know? Like you can – if you're just trying to save face and look like you have it all together, you can get along with people, right. but you're not going to be friends with them the way right. you could be. You're not giving them the opportunity to really show up yeah, for you if you, don't, if you don't tell them that. And I, I've just recently like kind of unlocked that cupboard and just said, okay, yeah, I'm kind of fucked up right now. I need a little. I it's need... scary though to be that vulnerable, mm-hmm. right? How's it, is, how's that going so far? It's going great. Actually, it's really good because it's getting me over myself. That's I had cool. no idea what a like bunch of bullshit I had built up to like you know just to make the outsides look good, but they weren't yeah. matching the insides, right? You know, right? And, but it's uh, so scary to just be like, "Hey, here's me, the actual me," because then you feel more more vulnerable. And then if you're rejected at that point, like when you have your face on your walls up and you get rejected, you're like, "Right, I'm good. I have my walls up." But mm-hmm. if you're like, "I'm really going to expose myself," right? And then you get rejected as a friend or whatever, that can be incredibly right. Painful. The, it's okay to have the construct rejected, but not the real thing, right? Right. right. But the thing is, is that we have no fucking clue. How anybody's going to react? That's very true. So and so, all of this is just us doing a number on ourselves based on our fear of what we don't even know is going to happen. You're right. You know. Yeah. So even if, and it's very unlikely that anyone that is your friend is going to reject you when you're really honest with them about what's bothering you. If they do, they're not your friends. You're rid. You're well rid of them. That's a good point. You know. So you know the more. <laughs> this is a thing. More and more, I'm realizing the more honest you are with people, even when it's messy. And it's uncool. The better chance you have to really separate the wheat from the chaff and like have an authentic existence. And the more <laughs> and the more you are authentic, the more your outsides just automatically match yeah. the insides. You don't have to put so much thought into like putting on your Curtis suit or your Billy Christopher uh-huh. suit. You know, I like that. I'm going to see that as a great challenge. Yeah, I'm going to work on that. And so you, be, I, I th- I, we've sort of wandered away from. Carrie and doing that. Oh, yeah, I was asking you about your um, explorations of Christianity. Ah. So you went to all of these different congregations. Mm-hmm. And why did you do that? Um, I was curious about – it was mostly curiosity, I think. And I also wasn't – God, that might be really apparent. Like I wasn't feeling fulfilled mm-hmm. where I was even though I had gone there for years. And um, so I just started looking for – answers but not just an- comfort maybe i think the thing that i miss and i'll come i'll and now digressing but i'll circle back around i think the the thing i miss most about going to church especially after i've moved to a new city and i've not been in richmond for a long time so that's not so much the case but after, between college and here i moved around a lot and the uh, like that sense of automatic sense of community that you get when you go to a church it's yeah. like i will embrace you it doesn't matter right Who, well you know One the, of the us. good churches are like <clears throat> you know, I welcome you in and you have this sense of community and you have these activities and this potluck and these three services this week and mm-hmm. this choir practice. And so it kind of gave a structure to life and also a support system, like a built-in support system. And so um, that that is what I miss most about it. Um, and so I occasionally will pop in to French churches and kind mm-hmm. of get a sense of that, which is really cool. Um, but I, I so I think the lack of comfort and the needing more questions answered and also I was starting to 
be I the sexuality thing was probably a big part of that because it was like you're telling me this isn't okay and I keep trying to fix it myself if that's wrong and so I was just trying to find I part of that I think was trying to figure that out so that made me question a lot of other things and uh so you know looking for answers I guess yeah. and comfort which I found in bits and pieces I have to say at all of those places mm-hmm. like they were all I met some really amazing people I had some really uh, positively emotional experiences shared experiences with those people uh, and then eventually eventually again mostly because of the sexuality thing mm-hmm. it was like that's not okay and it's like well then this is not you're wrong because this is a, it this is me yeah. and that can't be that doesn't make sense that right. makes no sense that if God created us and this is the way I am, but this is wrong, but God doesn't do anything wrong. Mm-hmm. It's like those things don't, they right. can't exist together. It does not compute. So that was kind of what led to me leaving the church. Now you say comfort a lot. Why did you feel uncomfortable, you think? And what kind of comfort were you looking for? Like, well, I think that's like that adolescent, like there's yeah, nothing worse yeah. than an adolescent girl. Right. It's like an adolescent at all. Like there's so many things that are changing. Right. And you don't feel, you don't know who you are and you don't know who other people are and, um, so I think it's that nothing more huge than general mm-hmm. adolescent, my Thanks. body's changing and my m- mind is changing and mm-hmm. I don't understand what's happening kind of stuff. I think mm-hmm. I don't think about that time in my life a lot anymore. And so, <laughs> so that was when that was that you were going to a, a lot of different churches. Was, yeah. Between yeah. like 15 and 15 and 18 and like that, the, that three year oh, teenage years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That coincidence, coincidentally is the time that I had the best relationship with my the faith that I was indoctrinated into as a yeah. kid is and which was Catholicism and and I went I went to a pretty light Catholic Catholic sort of church. I mean it was very urban St. Peter's down on um Gray Street, uh-huh. you know, near the center stage yeah, yeah, yeah. and all that. And we didn't hear a lot about the brimstone stuff and a lot of the you know the stuff that makes you feel guilty mm-hmm. and does a number on you and all of that. It was a very actually Christian church, I think, and the idea that what we're supposed to be focusing on is how we should treat people, right? You know, and right. how we should behave, which you know. is great. Mm-hmm. I think it's. A, I still think it's a great, especially like the gospels, like the teachings of Jesus. I'm like, these are great. Yeah. Like everything that he said is like that's a good life lesson. And there's this uh, pastor evangelist Joyce Meyer who's pretty famous, does a lot of televised stuff, mm-hmm. and she talks a lot about she's divorced and remarried and she talks a lot about her own life and how and most of her sermons and speeches and books and whatever are like really inspirational and they're you know they're bible based but she makes them very applicable and mm-hmm. very if in that way jesus like and then it's here's a good life lesson this is mm-hmm. something that you could learn and be a better person and i'm like that stuff's great i will totally yeah. take that well, that's i think and that's the value that i still have in that in in having that book i mean i have a picture of the last supper up in my kitchen yeah mainly because it was at my grandmother's house and it just Mm kind of reminds me of all of us sitting around the table there but i also think that it's up to me to take this stuff and interpret it in a way that it's valuable to me and i think those books they were they were written to give you shit to think about you know and and different ways to you know to recognize where the real suffering is and the discomfort and the hell is you know mm-hmm. is that it's really a thing that you're creating for yourself all the time right you know sure um according to the gnostic gospels jesus said the kingdom of heaven is laid out 
in front of you and you don't see it, mm. you know? And so these all, reading all of this shit is really, it's like a thought, a thought exercise it's supposed to produce different awareness. It might even be the goal might be enlightenment, but as people fucking, you know, retrofitted it to use mm-hmm. as, you know, political control in, sure. in Europe and shit like that. And I mean, they, it's not just Europe, but everywhere they just put in all of these do's and don'ts, you know, that supported whoever was in power at that right. time. But you can still read between the lines and get the stuff that's really valuable. Mm-hmm. I have no interest in what's the afterlife. That, you know, that really is, it's just a moot point. I Like, how do I leave my house today right, and, right. like, feel comfortable? Yeah, that's know? the thing. That's something that I think about a lot. It's like, I don't know if there's an afterlife. If there is, what can I do about that? But shouldn't my, shouldn't, for me, it's like if I can leave the world a better place than I came into it, then I've done what I should do. And it's like if there's an afterlife and I've done that, then cool, bonus. But it's mm-hmm. like if we're so focused on that thing, then are we missing out on being a complete and contributing human being in our society now if everything's yeah. about well, let me work towards that thing? It's like, but we're right here. Can't we make this better? Yeah. And if there is an afterlife, wouldn't making this better be a good enough deed to yeah. – merit you're getting into that yeah and as you said before like if there is this creator of the universe he doesn't do anything wrong then why would that creator want to set up a system where you're going to you could fuck up a couple times and you're fucked for good right like all eternity yeah and the stuff that they say that he's got a problem with doesn't really make sense that he would give a shit uh-huh. Uh, if there's a being that can create all of this shit, does he really care which aperture you put a sexual organ <laughs> in and whether or not they're the same sex or any of that? That doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Really is petty. So you're right. going to, and uh, so I don't see how anybody petty could do, accomplish anything that magnificent, uh-huh. you know, so that, that really doesn't follow. And mm-hmm. so I think that the, you know, and the guy that I was listening to earlier, he was talking about how if this book was written by a being capable of creating the universe and not first century thinkers, mm-hmm. there might have been some math in there somewhere that would still be inspiring <laughs> mathematicians today right, in science. Right. But my counter to that is I don't think if that is revealed text in any way, like the Bible, uh, the Quran, mm-hmm. the Torah, um, the Bhagavad Gita, if any of that stuff is a revealed text, it is revealed in the most subtle way possible. Because to really learn things, you have to be given a tidbit or a morsel, and then you have to chew on it, and you have to digest it, yeah. and you have to make it your thing, and you have to really make it come out of you. Right. You know, you can't just be told step by step how to do something. I mean, right. I people have tried that with me, and I don't get anywhere. <laughs> I, you have to supply the real, you know, the will right. to do it. Right. You know, so it, the church didn't do it for you from 15 to 18. 15 to 18, you tried it and then you finally it realized. It did a lot for me. Yeah. I'm not denying that, that, I mean, it really did do a lot. A lot mm-hmm. of those, the people really, you know, mm-hmm. not the church. Right. But a lot of really phenomenal people that helped me get through a lot of stuff. And even after that, like I would still, even after I left, my hometown at 19 and went from a private Baptist university to a state university. And the first week I was in class, my history of theater professor made a, a kind of a joking cutting uh, comment about men and also one about Christians. And I was like, Holy shit, <laughs> this is so cool. People have thoughts that are not in this box. And yeah. it's like, not that I necessarily agree with either of those comments, but it's like, she feels free to, 
have those thoughts and to express them in that moment as it relates to studying this play mm-hmm. and just like these comments never would have happened in this small place and so um so I guess that was part of it too when I mean to somewhere bigger it also it gave me other places to find comfort and to mm-hmm. find community because it was in a new theater department at this much larger university and um so I guess you could blame theater for me going to hell <laughs> or uh, you know what I was thinking as you're saying that is it's a really natural progression to um go from the pageantry of sure. and ritual of church yeah. and to find another sort of pageant and yeah. ritual yeah. that you get to inhabit the text mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. you get to like really try things on explore it you know right. um turn it around question it you know mm-hmm. i mean the point of a play i mean is like the script is just some words on the page and sure. it leaves so much room right right to interpret it and you know create nuanced performances as you said before and the more adventurous people you're with the more freedom there is to explore these things right and you find that community and that connection and that yeah. comfort and yeah would was are you aware of that being a a thing that you kind of you liked that you liked the idea that there's text and pageantry and you know a, a performance that is meant to produce <laughs> you know I don't know that I've ever community. had thought about it that clearly but that mm-hmm. makes that doesn't make perfect sense and also again the people like being surrounded by those people and I found so much comfort in theater people um, who are just as complicated as church people you know mm-hmm. well I guess all people are complicated that was maybe something silly to say but. Um, but I get what yeah. you're saying. I w- yeah, the, the, and, and the dynamics, ways, I guess. the dynamics are the similar. You yeah, know? there's yeah. A, there are divas at church. Sure. You know? <laughs> oh hell yeah. <laughs> and there's also you know like the the styles of wor- a style. Everybody has a different style of worship. Different actors have different styles of different acting techniques. Mm-hmm. There's so many parallels you can draw there. That's interesting. Well, you yeah, just it, cracked my whole story just now. Yeah, thank you for that. Well, it's you know. <laughs> D- DL, you know, he comes out of the church. Uh-huh. I've listened to his, this. This is part of why this is so intimidating because I've listened to t- two all the way through of, right. of these that you've done. One was with DL and the other was Emily Skinner. And I'm right. like, great, no pressure here <laughs> following these amazing people. Yeah, well, you're, you're, I mean, you're every bit as amazing as any of those people. Oh, for sure. You know? And I, I mean, I've seen, you know, equally, the, and I have a lot, you know, there, this is a thing that was kind of going through my head. I mean, cause you and I know each other because of Morgan mm-hmm. and like when relationships don't work out, a lot of times you go, Oh, that's, that was, you know, that was a mistake mm-hmm. or there was some period of your, my life that I, um, I fucked up and mm-hmm. I made, you know, and I did all this stuff wrong. And, and just one thing I can say is that I had no awareness, no relationship, n- no knowledge of the theater in this town. And like I got to see uh, the first thing I saw in Richmond was you and DL in race. Oh wow! You know, and then I got to see Patty issues. Mm-hmm. You know, and um, I think that's all <laughs> actually <laughs> of yours so far. But you know that that stuff. It's I had no idea that that also is a thing that I get my church out of. Mm. It's like you know it, seeing people. Um, well, first of all, the fact that like, yeah, it's a, a effort of the people on the stage, mm-hmm. you know, and there's this, 
immediacy and tension to me of of them you know of watching that go on and knowing there's no net right you know right. there's no cut the camera and edit it shit mm-hmm. you know that you guys are you know you're engaged in something that is um is a kind of a make or break every time you sure. do it yeah. you know yeah, yeah yeah and i got an appreciation for that i've been on that side of it but also you know that you know the audience is out there that we the congregation <laughs> you know are 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 and we're we're the congregation we're also the chorus uh-huh. you know sure and and there is this relationship there and something that may not have been revealed to you when you were in rehearsal you know becomes revealed right. when you're out there and i'm very i mean i'm very conscious of you being somebody who is really in that space when you're out there, especially to do a one man show like Patty issues, mm-hmm. you know, that's all you the whole <laughs> fucking time. And Patty, Patty is, what, I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> you're just, the spirit is coming. Yeah. Upon I'm just you. surrounded by the spirit of Patty Lapona, Ben Remelauer. Yeah. And don't teasing man. And you know, don't compare yourself to anybody else in this thing, you know, cause the beauty of this is that it's, Two people, a different combination every time. Sure. And everyone is is perfect, you know. Wouldn't that be nice? <laughs> <laughs> They're all there's always something that's, you know, right, right. about, you know. That there's always something you're gonna learn and always something that's why I don't edit them and I don't do any any real post stuff on it. Because it's so just be easy. Mm-hmm. You know. So when did you um start getting into theater? Um Ooh, in where where I'm from, from a very small town in the middle of Kentucky, so there wasn't a lot of theater opportunity available. So mm-hmm. I did chorus and choir mostly, and then we had a fourth grade play and an eighth grade drama club and a senior play. So it's like once in elementary school, once in middle school, once in high school, and then a lot of church plays. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> a lot. I played Judas a few times. That was fun. Um, so... <laughs> I asked for they were it was like the first time they did it this last supper dramatization that was really cool and immediately after they announced it I went up and was like can I play Judas and they were like wow usually when we do this play nobody wants to play that role and I'm like mm-hmm. no I want to do that mm-hmm. because he's very complex mm-hmm. and like vilified but also apologized whereas other dude um, oh, why am I going to blame Peter? Was it Peter that denied him three times mm-hmm. and didn't apologize? Yeah. Like Judas did it once and apologized. Peter did it three times and Peter's all cool and Judas is bad. What right. the hell? Anyway, um, and that was really cool because I got to be in a play with my dad who is a farmer and worked for an aluminum company for the bulk of my life and is like very blue collar and um, n- like finished high school and that was it. Mm-hmm. And it was, was a really and he was really good mm-hmm. and so that was a really beautiful experience so like those little things and then my senior year in high school i got cast in the ensemble of joseph and the amazing technicolor dream coat at uh the university slash community theater um so that was the big the big one that's awesome that it <laughs> is this transition from being connected to the church and Christianity uh-huh. and gradually it just comes kind of morphing. Right. You know, but the co- the context is continues to be, you know, Bible stories. Right. Right. Well, and it's the, the next thing I'm going to, well, I'm doing this Irish play. And then after that, like the next full show that I, I think I'm going to be in is a production of Godspell. It's oh, going to yeah. be in November. So it's, which I've done two times before. So it all, somehow I keep coming back. <laughs> I think there's, I, I don't think there's much of it. I mean, you know, it, it's, makes sense you know like it's not um these worlds are not as far apart 
you know, yeah. as, as I said with DL, you know, he grew up in the church and like this, he says, and that his, you know, this becomes his church, you know, and it's a place to not only like you get to explore Judas, you get to explore the Judas in you, mm-hmm. you know, you get to get out there and, and it's a safe place, right? you know, to like say, okay, well, these behaviors are not behaviors that I want to avow on a, a normal basis, but mm-hmm. they're in me, you know, and like, so I right. can, I can explore them and explore the consequences of them you know the the effects on other people you know in the you know in that safe way Mm -hmm. you know where nobody's actually getting hurt you know i can explore the consequences on me so you know you were you were looking around in the church for like you know the most complete picture Uh and it seems like you had, had to get into it you know yeah and play the various roles you know hmm Well, that's really cool, though, because, like, I think I said this before. Alan Watts said that, the you know, the way that the Hindus look at um, what their God is doing is that he is at play. He is playing all the parts and he's very interested in inhabiting all of creation. Huh. And, like, after, you know, basically created everything with himself. So it's sort of a dream. Uh-huh. And everything is, um, I think, is it Vishnu? Everything is Vishnu. All people, all living things, plants, all of that stuff. He became the entire production, you know. And um, it, it's, you know, so we all have it in us. We all have a piece of it. We're all, it's all connected. We're all, we all have this nature. We have this God nature or whatever. Mm-hmm. But at some point, he's, that a whole thing has to be destroyed so that it kind of comes out of the story and back into the objective. Interesting. Yeah. So it, it really makes sense that we would want, you would want to, like if you're it's a spiritual pursuit to act mm-hmm. you know sure yeah and, and <laughs> um has it all has it occurred to you uh always that i mean what I, I, we've been talking about like sort of how it you kind of got into it but what we were talking about before we turned on the mics about what music was to me as far as being the center of attention and ego and being in and being a player and being involved mm-hmm. in scenes and stuff like that. Was that also a motivation to you? Initially, I'm sure mm-hmm. that it was like, especially with Joseph, when it was like, oh, my family's here and they're like mm-hmm. looking at me and this is cool. Mm-hmm. Um, so sure, I think that was part of it initially. But now it's, I find as I get older, like I become less and less comfortable with, especially with public speaking and I, my stage fright is far worse than it's ever been, even in a scripted play. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if I need to reintroduce some ego (laughs) or like take more joy in the fact that I'm being watched, but it's, I, and I, I really need to look at it some more within myself and like why it becomes, uh, increasingly more terrifying to step on stage or even to do an interview like this. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, where it used to be like, oh, this is great. Let's do this. And now it's sometimes when I've done a couple of solo cabarets, like it, at some point, it's like maybe half an hour before curtain. And I was like, I turned out the piano player and the guitar player. And I was like, what if, I mean, we have this sold out house that came to see me, but what if I just don't go on? Mm-hmm. And it was a legitimate question. It was like, yeah. I'm really terrified right now of stepping out there on stage. And with that, it's, it's more personal because it's my stories and it's just me and, um, but it was like, I don't, I honestly don't know if I have the courage to do that. And so I, I'm sure some ego played into it initially, but now I don't know if that's been, if it's gone or if it's, 
maybe it's still ego, but a fear of the ego being damaged. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Well, that is, I mean, to me, that is, and you proceeded every one of those times, even though you asked yourself that question and you were afraid. Indeed. You never backed down from doing it. You you went ahead. Right. Again, right. because of the people around me and the yeah. support that I had. So it always still comes back to people, I guess, because mm-hmm. the guitar player, Tristan, was in, immediately without pause. Well, that's not acceptable. <laughs> it's like, oh, you're right. You're right. Yeah. Let's go. Let's do it. But there was that thing that we were just talking about in the beginning about that I was saying that I, you know, you, you told the truth in that moment. You're you right. Know? Yeah, yeah, and yeah. And you totally. let the ghost out of the closet mm-hmm. and then a bunch of other people just went, fuck that ghost. It's right. It's not even there. Right. You know, and that is the power that, I, you know, other people have for us because the shit that we do in our heads is super powerful. Like, it's like, if you don't let it out of your head, it, it completely you know, can dominate you. But mm-hmm. as soon as you say it to somebody else, they can just, sometimes they just chuckle and you realize, Oh wow. That, right. That was nothing. Right. You know, but the, so the ego, uh, you know, the healthy balance of ego, like I wouldn't call like necessarily liking, I mean, you got to have enough sense of self to take it upon yourself, to put together a production, to lead, to direct, to form a company like fifth wall and all that kind of stuff. That's good sure. ego. You know, right. Then there's this, the, the diva kind of ego. It's just that self-centered narcissism that it's all about me, mm-hmm. you know, and it sounds to me like the more that you see yourself as a part of a group that is trying to do something, you have less anxiety around that because it's not about you right. individually. But when it's, you're sitting right here and you're thinking about it being about you, mm-hmm. you know, you get, it's, that's, that's where most of us are uncomfortable is the more we think it's about us and we're just like that person on the stage being judged and found wanting and all of that. It is the death of the inauthentic self, you know, which we want to hold on to, you know, right. and we're just as scared the, our body's reaction to fear is no different mm-hmm. if we're talking about humiliation or talking about actually being murdered, you know? Interesting. <laughs> wow. <laughs> you know? I mean, because we just have one fear response. Right, right, right. It's like right, fucking right. fight or flight, you know? Yeah. And I know when I'm facing humiliation that that is – you might as well tell me that somebody – I'm walking into a room and somebody's going to put a bullet between my eyes. Wow. You know? Like, yeah. It does feel – that. it's the same level of fear. Interesting. You know? Except I've faced humiliation much more than the, looking down the barrel of a gun. Just that. So sorry. So, so does this mean the problem is that I, as I've gotten older, I think I think more that it's about me, and then I have greater ego, and this is why I have greater stage right? Is this what you're saying to me right now? I would say <laughs> that it is not a problem. It is a problem. I would say that it is more like a challenge. Ah, and it is an opportunity for growth, shift in perspective. Yes, I see. that's how. I, that's what I like to do. Mm-hmm. You know. Well, these kinds of things are the places where you, and this is some great, like, touchy-feely Pima Show drone stuff, is, like, <laughs> heartbreak is getting your heart broken open, you know? And, like, you get some crust on your heart, you know? And when you're like that, you're, you may be feeling pretty content, you know, when you feel like that's whole, like maybe you're in a relationship or whatever. But you're also, you can be kind of smug, it, when you're there, you can feel very self-satisfied and very complete. Mm-hmm. And um, when so, when something inevitably, or not inevitably, but very often happens where that that little dream is smashed, you suddenly find all the other people who feel like that around you. 
mm-hmm. you know, and you can connect to them and you have an, an opportunity for much more authentic connection to what other people have been saying, the words that other people have been saying to you, you know, and, <laughs> and so in your real life, you know, you can connect more to the words mm-hmm. that are coming from people and what's, what's going on. That becomes very fleshed out and real, you know, how other people are feeling. And then, and whatever else you're doing, whether it's art or whatever, the words on the page, like, become a lot more... God, you know how a fucking song sounds when you're like, you know, <laughs> you could have heard that song last week. And then when you have heartbreak, you hear it and it's the most profound thing you've ever mm-hmm. heard. Yeah. You know? So I'd say that you were, you got an opportunity to crack some, you know, thing. And that's what you're being invited to do is like, you know, it's just, it, it's a, I'd say whatever you want to call it, pain or fear or, or anxiety is, is a, is a pointer. It's like there's something to pay attention to. Sure, sure. You know, and if you just if you're courageous about going into it and being open to what is going to happen, then something cool will happen out of it. If you try to cover it over with more bullshit veneer, you know, it it ends up being a canker, Mm -hmm. I think. Yeah. You know, so. You don't have a problem. God, I know I was going to get some therapy today. I know. This is great. That's right. <laughs> it's for both of us, though. You I know? like it. Because I think about this kind of stuff a lot lately. Um, so you are you were saying that you're feeling more stage fright oh, yeah. lately. Yeah. Well, you've taken a lot of responsibility, right? Sure. Has that, that got anything to do with it, you think? That you've fifth wall... Mm-hmm. And so you're doing that, but are you also were you in Carrie, for instance? No, or? directed it, produced. Um, I mean, it's you know, Carol and I do it together, the company, and so it's. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> pardon me. Um, there's certainly a lot of responsibility there, uh, with running the company and therefore being in charge of not just telling the story, but also bringing the story into the community and creating the graphic design and running the box office and all those administrative things on top of it. So yeah, there's certainly more responsibility there because anywhere else, like if, if Virginia rep hires me to do a show to direct play, I just go in and direct the play and show up at production meetings and that's it. That's the Mm -hmm. extent of my job. Mm -hmm. Um, But with fifth wall, because it's Carol and I created it together and run it together um, with a couple of other or one other, I guess, staff person, there's a lot more, responsibility there yeah that might be the what's the source of this maybe and i guess the first (laughs) but it's also i'm trying to think of what the other end yeah maybe it's a broad maybe that's a thing that kind of layers over top of everything else even non-fifth wall projects that i work on Hmm. it's okay to be responsible for yourself and only be letting yourself down but when you're you know responsible for a lot of other people that yeah. yeah yeah Yeah, that's a thing. But it again, it's just it's just fear, you know. Indeed. <laughs> and there's nothing to fear but fear itself. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, we've gotten so uh, gotten very like uh, they're psychological. Yeah. And, and I, we like to do that. <laughs> what have you seen lately that you really dig? Like, have you seen productions? You know, outside of what you're doing. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Like, you got to see other people's work to keep a kind of a sense of what's going on in the world. Um, um, 
What did I love? I've loved a lot of things recently. Psycho Beach Party at Triangle Players was really fun. It's certainly not my type of theater. It's mm-hmm. very campy, but it's lots of pretty people in bathing suits running around. And Jesse Johnson, who is, if she stays in Richmond, is going to be probably the biggest star in Richmond in 10 years. Mm-hmm. Is really, I mean, she's, I don't know, like not long out of college and it's just gorgeous and phenomenally talented. I've seen her in a few things and she just is just kind of steals the show without stealing the show. It's like, I'm going to come out here and do my job and I'm going to kick ass, but I'm not going to step on anybody else's stuff either. Mm-hmm. She's just incredible. Um, Hamlet that's closing tonight with Quill theater starring my friend Molly hood um, is amazing and fun like Mm -hmm. funny production of hamlet Mm -hmm. and not in a bastardizing way but like really using the text and finding fun there's a lot of funny i think there's a lot of humor in there yeah and they really use it yeah it's great that line that uh like polonius says to hamlet like i beg your leave uh my lord and he says you could not possibly beg anything of me that i would not more gladly give you (laughs) like that's (laughs) yeah That's a straight diss. Yeah, like, that's yeah, totally. You know, and it's, he's he's constantly fucking with people like that, right? Because he's got such you know, mm-hmm. he's such a smart guy. So he's behind everything. He's everything is you know, double edged that he says to mm-hmm. everyone. Well, and, and this is actually a she, which is interesting. Oh, because Molly and I've directed Molly as Hamlet in a gender reversed, where it was you know, it's still pronouns remain the same. But in this production, they decided to make it princess Hamlet. And even though there's a history of women playing the role, mm-hmm. they've either historically generally either played it as a man or as kind of an androgynous figure. And in this production, they actually made it Molly's playing it as a woman, which is really interesting and clearly shifts a lot of the dynamics instead of like <clears throat> a stepfather, stepson relationships, like mm-hmm. the stepfather daughter and the Gertrude Hamlet as a mother daughter relationship, as opposed to a, a mother son is very different. And then the Ophelia relationship is, clearly different because now it's like a lesbian relationship yeah. which so everybody else stays layer. the same except yeah oh interesting yeah. well i mean there's some like smaller things like rosencrantz and guildenstern one of them is a female uh-huh. and they're hysterical um laurel mon and jonathan conyers laurel who actually who did the costumes for carrie love her um so that's great and the um last of the red hot lovers at virginia rep with uh scott witchman and eva divergilis and maggie roop and deborah wagner is was is probably the most refreshing thing I've seen in a long time because it's a Neil Simon, so it's funny, and then there's mm-hmm. a nice dose of a message at the end, yeah. and it's just incredibly well directed by Steve Paragard, who's I probably shouldn't say it, but it's probably my di- favorite director in Richmond, and the cast is amazing, and it's a beautiful piece, and it's very funny, mm-hmm. and it was just like, oh, it's so nice to just get to have a comedy, not a mindless comedy, but mostly a comedy and then like oh here's a sweet message to go along with Mm -hmm. this so that was excellent oh and i was like what is the thing that like blew me away is the altruist i've seen a lot of things lately Mm -hmm. um as soon as carrie opens like i have to see everybody's shows Mm -hmm. um the altruist at theater lab at the theater lab at the basement is uh, exceptional and runs at least one more weekend maybe two a really incredible young cast and a very a Nikki Silver play also wrote the Lions that I directed recently. A very oh, yeah. kind of absurd play where it's really broadly funny, and mm-hmm. then it's really not funny. Mm-hmm. It's like becomes incredibly devastating, and just kind of wrecked my being a little bit at the end. Even though I knew the play, it was just so well done that you kind of forget because mm-hmm. you get so absorbed in what the work that those actors are doing. Um, 
Yeah. So lots of good stuff in Richmond. I got a couple. Now. So you remember the backing up to the general reversed Hamlet. That's that's a series of type because I remember last year there was a a Lear a King Lear is that what it was? Or? Uh, we the twelfth. There was a Lear on the horizon at some point that okay. ended up getting postponed to mm-hmm. some point that has not yet happened. Okay, but it definitely it's a it, who's we, doing the gender. Well, who's the company? That's or, me. It's you. It's okay. just me. It's not even. Well, the last, the last one was Fifth Wall. The Twelfth Night was produced by Fifth Wall. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's something that started in. I think I started in 2010, 11, 12, somewhere in there. Mm-hmm. Several years ago, a few years ago, um, when I was doing this uh, bootleg Romeo and Juliet with Henley, what well, was Henley Street Theater at the time, and um, I was like some tiny Abraham and a Watchman or something. But Melissa Johnston Price was playing Lord Capulet as a man, mm-hmm. and it was just really thrilling. And it was like, God, I bet she would be a great Macbeth. And then I was like, I could make that happen. I could do a a reading of Macbeth with yeah. her. And then it was like, because there's so much in Macbeth in particular that deals with masculinity and womanhood and childbirth and all this stuff it was like, what if the whole thing were gender reversed? Yeah. And so that was, that, and, and that did one you, was, does, does Lady Macbeth become a, a man or does she stay Lady Macbeth? It's still Lady Macbeth, but it's played by a man. Uh-huh. So it's the idea. The dynamic stays the same. The gender, of course not, yeah, because it's know? a man playing the You don't role. think men fucking manipulate? Well, I guess it's. <laughs> <laughs> it's like what we talk and what I tell them each with the five or six of them, I think I've done now. And it's what I tell them is that you're for the women. So all the male roles are played by female actors and mm-hmm. the female roles are played by male actors. But it's not <clears throat> a drag show. It's not women playing men. The text remains the same. It's just in this world, he means what this body is. And right. so, and they bring, like Melissa, for example, isn't playing a man, but she's, it's also, you still play the text and play what Macbeth needs to get, but from Melissa's experience as uh-huh. a woman. So it just. That seems like a really, really interesting one to fuck with because Lady Macbeth is, is pulling, you know, Macbeth's strings Mm -hmm. and manipulating him and guiding him and controlling him because of her ambition that she doesn't get to realize because she's a woman. Right. So she's got to basically use him as a strap on, you know, (laughs) to like, (laughs) wow, you know, and and so that's a major, that is a major, like, I mean, the foundational aspect of male female dynamics is that we are the agent. We have traditionally men have been the agent, the doer, the penetrator, the, you know, Mm -hmm. the, the actor, you know, the one with the sword, the one that actually like does the thing, but you know, and and women have not been allowed to do that. So they do it through the men, you know? So like to, to, to switch that around and see, Hmm, do men do use women? that that way and we know they use them you know but to promote them into a situation you know and to you know convince them that they should do something you know and convince them not honestly but guilefully you know yeah i think they do yes it's called a pimp right (laughs) (laughs) and many other things it could be i guess like if the woman is uh, the one of means or the one of power and he is less so. I mean, which is clearly more common now than it used to be when they just absolutely weren't allowed except for the few that made it happen. So yeah, I think everybody uses everybody. I think it's a thing that we do. 
it's like a necessary part of, I mean, that's, we choose to be a part of community. Mm-hmm. So we choose to offer up ourselves to each other in that way, not in a necessarily manipulative or derogatory or negative way, but it's certainly like, I'm going to, it's a trade off. Well, I think maybe the reason why this is such an important thing and why Shakespeare's stuff continues to be so eminently like, um, rich in, uh, stuff to learn about the human condition. Mm -hmm. And I'm not articulating it the way I, I want to, but that, that there is so much to unpack in there and then so much to explore. Like if you are playing in that dynamic, yeah, we do do, we do, there is a, a, an agenda when you get together with a lover, you know, sure. And you do want that person, you use them for pleasure, right? You know, um, and you also, if you want to keep them around for pleasure, then you got to do life with them as a partner. And then like, how do you explore, how do you get at partnership versus some kind of subordinate for some, one of the people are being subordinated to the other person's will. Right. You know, unless that's a thing you want because everybody's different and everybody yeah. is looking for something different. And if what gives you pleasure is pleasuring someone else, then isn't that a valid thing? But then it's really because I always think about relationships as kind of being like puzzle pieces. Like I'm missing this part right. of being a complete. Nah, that's an awful way to put it. Like this part of my puzzle piece is indented and yours sticks out right, here and right, they fit well right. together kind of thing. And that's thing. the sexual thing is obvious that way. Is it you know, just sexual though, fixed. but also emotionally? Like no, you know, I, I need, I have this emotional need right. and you have this gift of being very giving in this emotional way. And so those pieces fit together in that way. Or I really like doing this thing that you really, if we're going to go with sexually, like this is something I really like to do. This is something you really like right. to have done. Top, bottom, and so that things fits. like that. Yeah. Or like ear nibbling. <laughs> right, right. Or something. Our styles are compatible in those, those kinds of things. But there are, I guess the thing that I'm pretty much fascinated with when it comes to this particular arena too, you know, when you, you go from being a lover to being a partner, you know, and you are trying to coordinate those two things and then, you know, maybe even have a, a long-term relationship that, sure. that in some cases, you know, and ends up including procreation and right. all of that kind of stuff. There is still even – there is the way you are and the way that they are and the stuff that just automatically fits together. And the reason I mentioned the sexual thing is, mm-hmm. of course, there's some obvious things like a penis goes in a vagina, you know. But then there's obviously a lot more opportunities, you mm-hmm. know, right. there. Um, than that, and there's the physical thing. Sure. The way that we were meant to operate as a, a dicotious species, you know, a uh-huh. two house uh-huh. species or whatever. Um, I think that's right. That's where dichotomy comes from, I guess. Or anyway. Um, but then there's all of the complexities of who people are, you uh-huh, know, and, sure. I, and I think this is why we, there's so much talk in the gender thing to make you, the, the movement in the culture to be very mindful of how you, you reflexively refer to people. You know, it's kind of a pain in the ass sometimes to try to find gender neutral pro- pronouns because it doesn't sound natural, whatever. Right. But when you have to think about what your what overlay, what programming you're going along with, when you just you know use the obvious choice, mm-hmm. you know he, she, and all of that kind of stuff, then what you're colluding in and what you're participating in that might be actually stopping you from fully realizing like who you are as a complex person. You know, I I understand why we do it. Because then it points at like, well, you not only do you have to find the person that, uh, you know, it's your initial state that you can connect with, mm-hmm. but then you got to figure out how to cooperate. And there's a lot of shit you don't know about yourself. <laughs> right. You know, there really is. I don't give a fuck who you are. 
there is so much of your motives and your behavior that is hidden from you, mm-hmm. you know? So when you get to watch a play like that, you get to see some them, them working that out. Right. And you get to take it back to like, yeah, I mean, I got the person that we got the groundwork, mm-hmm. but if this is going to go on, you got to figure out how, like, where am I being an asshole that I don't have to be? Oh, know? interesting. That's a really great way of doing that. There's also that... Or where am I manipulating this person? Not just saying like, okay, the guy, I'm, I as a man with the, with the tools that I've been given, uh-huh. if you, if I and a woman were living on a farm, obviously it would be my job to chop the wood because there's no way a woman, a, a woman is going to be able to chop as much wood as me. It's not, it's not, it doesn't make any sense. It's well, unless, like, but you're like a big strapping man, but right. if you were like a smaller man and you had a big strapping wife, right. then would it well, not? Well, I'm just using that as an example. Okay, I'm not sorry. saying that's a gender role. <laughs> I'm not saying that's a gender role. I'm saying that there are obvious things that a person's job is in a relationship, depending on those people. It's not, doesn't mean right. men always split sure. wood. I'm All just right. saying in this case, right, right. that's what I've been, you know, one of the things that I've been given to work with. I'm a mule, you know, I can do that stuff, mm-hmm. you know, but, um, you know, there are, there are lots of other, there are jobs to be done. Like, you know, and, and, and wrecking, okay, this is, this is what I'm getting ready to lose my train of thought, but I got it back now. There are, so for the woman to say, honey, could you please go out and split the wood? Uh-huh. That's not a manipulation, you know? That's like, that's obviously my, you know, I'm the one that's going to be best at that. And I said, okay. well, honey, could you, would you mind washing the dishes? You know, because that's a, a task that fits, you know, you know, you can do that. I can do this, right? And so that's not using a person. That's Isn't like, it we're a, no, that's a partnership, right? Because you can't do two things at once, right? I need to be out there splitting the wood, so you need to be washing the dishes. And then we, we, it's a division of labor. Sure. Okay? Sure. Now, the thing, and this is where I'm trying to go with this, is that there's another level of that where you're not being honest about that. You're, right. And, and you're using the other person to do something you don't want to do. Right. That, you know, and, and that's the, that's one of the really major things to kind of find out is like, are you, are you in the person you're with in a partnership where you're dividing labor according to special skills and, aptitudes or is one person using the other person completely mm. you know being dishonest exploiting them sure you know sure sure and i mean that lady macbeth exploits the fuck out of uh macbeth i think in that play i don't think he has a whole hell of a lot of ambition on his own you know true i mean there's also there's the fun thing about shakespeare too though yeah at the base that's that's true but there's also fun thing about it's Shakespeare and he's been dead for 400 years and it's in public domain. So you can do whatever the heck you want with it. Mm -hmm. And so because Melissa is, I'm gonna call her 50. And it was in my mind, it was like, I want this, her to have this really hot, younger trophy husband, trophy wife, like uh, McCain. And so we brought in this amazing actor, um, Brandon, who is blonde and lanky and gorgeous blue eyes Uh and and like mid twenties. And it was so there was a mutual exploit, exploitation in that way because she's using him to get power, but he also is like Macbeth has this really hot young thing that he gets to go to bed with he she whatever, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and so and they had this amazing <laughs> makeout scene. I don't remember which scene it was, but it was like, would you guys mind like if you just like kind of kissed and like kind mm-hmm. of went on it and got a little and it just they they're brilliant actors and they just went for it and it was like so they're can be but true true and like just the base of the text there's definitely she's definitely manipulating him 
but it's also like why did she come into this relationship for that purpose right. like we don't know we don't get that right. background really but you get to ask yourself how that old question they are how they get married that. yeah you know am i with this person because they were just like the hottest person that i could find and now i'm just trying to tolerate the rest of them right or- isn't that lame though like it kind of sucks when it's like oh you're hot but this is not fulfilling at all other than to look at you i mean that's a thing but it's like they've been sex is not great and you're not really fun to be around but it's fun to you know go to a party together because everybody's like oh look who billy christopher's with that person's really hot well um <clears throat> yes it is lame you know and when you put it like that but <laughs> we're not always aware of what we're doing when it comes to that shit you know that's what I, i'm kind of getting at is like i the, the i I personally have recently had revealed to me just how oblivious I can be to my own motivations and yeah. the things that I have put myself in a position to be very uncomfortable. And and I had I did it because I made a choice like that, you know, that I just wanted a particular thing, which I'm pretty much experienced and mature and wise enough at this point to know is not really a foundation for anything Mm -hmm. but i just kind of did it anyway and i've put that way back yeah and i said this would be all right i I guess you know and i mean this applies a shitload of stuff i'm not just like talking about relationships it's like you just kind of it's whether it's drinking or eating too much or like whatever you you know all all of these nuances but you just kind of like really go with eh i'm just gonna like i feel like eating this right now i feel like drinking this right now i like you know and you don't you're not um you're not present to all of the other stuff until all of a sudden you're in some shit. Right. You know? Right. <laughs> you know, with eating it's like maybe you put on a whole lot of weight, you know, yeah. drinking maybe you've crashed your car or like got you know, pissed somebody off bad or yeah, you know, with relationships you've you dug in and suddenly you realize, Wow, you know, I was going along with a whole lot with this person because I do find them we do have the lover thing uh-huh. down. But like we fucking cannot see eye to eye, right. and now there's like it's there's no easy easy dismount from that. <laughs> no pun intended. That's right. Maybe <laughs> a little pun intended. So that you know, but to see something, I mean, that's that is a function. Like if you bring this desire to any art, you get to learn something about yourself while you're, you know, watching a play. Yeah. You know. Uh-huh. And Shakespeare is really wide open to that. Do you, are you a big fan of Shakespeare in general? I I am because it – a lot of it. Some of it's like – I mean he's so revered. It's like, oh, it's the greatest playwright in the history of the English language and blah, mm-hmm. blah, blah. But he has some really shitty plays too. Yeah. Like of the ones that we have, some of them are just like that's – that is not a good play. It's like we don't really need to produce that. But then there's some things like we did a gender verse Coriolanus and it was like mm-hmm. this play never gets produced. And it's like this play is amazing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's so weird how things kind of come in and out of popularity. But overall, I think it's cool because there's – especially with the gender reverse. Once I started, it, all of a sudden it's like, oh, I want to do the whole canon and like do all 38 plays in the next 10 years, which is not now going to happen. I would have to be doing them much more frequently to make that happen. But that it's <clears> – that he has created this – these vivid at least this vivid language with these vibrant characters that is so open to interpretation and you get as a director and adapter or whatever you get to cut out what you don't need because no one wants to see the four and a half hour hamlet so clearly right. like you trim it down to your vision I didn't know there's have i not seen the whole hamlet unless there's the kenneth branagh movie with with uh mel gibson 
No, no, he's Hamlet. Yeah, yeah, that one's awful. They cut the shit out of that one. Rearranged scenes, terrible. But the Kenneth Kenneth Branagh and, oh, Titanic Girl, Kate Winslet is Ophelia. And it's the entire four and a half hour Hamlet. Wow. And it's gorgeous to look at, but it's kind of boring in my opinion. But um, the Ethan Hawke Hamlet with Jessica Lange and Bill Murray is quite excellent. And that's a done in modern setting. Yeah. Like Denmark becomes a corporation as opposed to a country. And Claudius is a CEO versus a king. And it's really searing and incisive, Mm -hmm. I think. Um, No one wants to see the full. I mean, someone does clearly because Branagh made made it. it, Well, he makes things no one wants to see. But um, (laughs) he's brilliant. But let's, let's a little indulgent. Right. Nobody's perfect. Right, except it, everybody is. But the, well, yeah, <laughs> the, everyone is perfect in their imperfection. Ah, you know? so when what you do that is pleasing is not detracted from by what you do that is displeasing. It is all one thing. You, you know, interesting. That <laughs> where is this shit coming from today, man? I'm just like <laughs> I'm everywhere. Pe- yeah, I've been I've been I, like I have my head in this stuff a lot lately. Um. Well, you know, I was thinking about earlier when you were talking about, okay, so gender reversal, uh, the idea that something could be funny and then suddenly be very profound or even devastating, mm-hmm. you know, like a play. Mm-hmm. And um, also the idea that there's you know, there's so much in – even, you know, Rosencrantz and Guildenstern, mm-hmm. you know, that are dead, you know, that mm-hmm. play, mm-hmm. which takes those two minor characters mm-hmm. and follows them around – where they would have possibly been while the other action mm-hmm. is going on. And I saw the movie version of that with Gary Oldman and um, Tim Roth and Richard Dreyfus. Nice. You know, and which is, it's, I haven't seen the movie. Oh man, you got it. It's I'll check really it out for cool sure. because the play is going on. Uh-huh. Like the story of Hamlet is uh-huh. happening in real time uh-huh. through the movie. And then they are wandering in and out of the action of it. Wow. And then they are also sort of, they are, they have they're become more fleshed out characters. Mm-hmm. Like Tim Roth is this very is a Hamlety kind of guy, mm-hmm. and he's like constantly pon- pondering things and asking himself questions and like why would he ask us to do this? What does he want us to do? And then um, Gary Oldman's just kind of listening and fucking with all this stuff, and he keeps having these sort of scientific revelations that Tim Roth's not paying attention to. Mm-hmm. But I mean that w- without the four hour Hamlet, there's all of this other story uh-huh. available. In there, and that, I think that's why Shakespeare is so. I mean, continues to be this thing is that he left so much room right. for all of this. Right. But in that movie, they also show that the typical theater troupe that went around doing stuff, you know, was was comprised of mostly men, completely you know? men, yeah, completely men no playing women. women. So yeah. it was always just they weren't allowed. Gender. Like it was right. illegal, which right. comes up in Shakespeare and Love, the movie, which is excellent. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. So initially, all the roles were played by men or by boys, sometimes playing the women roles. Right. Right, so they were always gender. Yeah, so it's interesting to think about that, and that like some of these lines that women have, and it's like the did that audience find that funny? Like when Molly Hood and I played Beatrice and Benedict together in a gender reversed Much Ado About Nothing, and Beatrice has that amazing line where she's like, "I need you to take care of Claudio," and she's like, "If I were a man." And it was just like this moment of, mm-hmm. holy shit, but I am a man, but mm-hmm. I'm not, but I'm, right, and so right. it's like, did the audience then in like 1601 or whatever, did they find that funny when this boy or this man dressed as a woman, but they knew it was a man said, if I were a man, mm-hmm. I would do these things. 
Is that funny? To, was that funny? I don't it know. It was probably funny to someone. And it right. probably like went one right person, over it was somebody like, else's ha, 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 head. And they were like, why are you laughing? Which, yeah, exactly. Which is the beauty of this. Right. Is that you can enjoy it. And that's another thing in that movie that they do really well. And I love it. Like, And i never seen the play. But the story is also being told through the actual, you know, usual scene and dialogue uh-huh. involving Claudius and Hamlet and Laertes and all these other kind of people. But the theater troupe is putting on different levels of production for people. Uh-huh. So if they're at the court, they're doing one thing because the people at the court are literate and sophisticated and mm-hmm. like, you know, maybe not so bawdy. Yeah. And then they're doing one at the end that is entirely pantomime, you know, like they're showing, say, the battle between um, Laertes and Hamlet as this like a Punch and Judy kind of a thing, oh, wow. you know, and um and, and so they're throughout the thing. So th- those people are able to follow a narrative and all of that kind of stuff. They just need it presented to them mm-hmm. differently. But like, you know, Shakespeare has all of that stuff. And most really good stuff is able to be enjoyed on multiple levels. Sure. You know, you can dig the spectacle and then go home at night and lay in bed and ponder the subtext. Right. You know? Right. Or you can get a hold of it right then and there and miss a lot of the story, you know. But uh, I think probably somebody got that then. But then, you know, that what you just said about uh, if I were a man, mm-hmm. you know, but that's even more profound. Like, what if that man doesn't really feel like he's the man right. that people usually assign, you know, what they mean by man? Sure. Macho. Right. You know. Right. Or if it's not macho, like in that instance, that was me as Beatrice addressing that line to Molly Hood as Benedict mm-hmm. saying, if I were a man, if I were like you. Right. Right. But then it's like there's – but 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 – and it was really cool. Like we both in that moment, it was like this small, like, oh my god, light bulb, mm-hmm. keep going, <laughs> let's keep playing yeah. the feed. Uh-huh. But it wanted to be like just stop and be like, hey guys, yeah, wasn't that a cool discovery? Yeah, the, you no, know, you don't get going. to do that. You have no, to let that subtle shit yeah, just, just like take it and use it and mm-hmm. keep rolling and talk yeah. about it and talk back afterwards. Yes, help exactly. you remember that it happened and then, and then contemplate lately and hopefully it'll shine a light on something that you you know you didn't know that you knew right you right, know and. Right. I mean, that you didn't know that you do. And now you can know this thing that you do and maybe do it a little differently. You know? And so, yeah. I, you know, I got to this, the, the kind of, the genders, like I had Mo Carnage on here and somebody objected to me referring to Mo as a her because the, the group of people that she's involved a lot are very gender political about gender neutral and not putting gen, they're gender queer and not, even if you, I think, I guess the idea, and I don't know a lot about this, but even if you identify sort of heterosexually, you still, you know, as far as who you would have sex with, as a person, you don't want to be labeled as a he or she, you know, like you're still allowed to, you know, you decide what, I guess, your, gender identity is mm-hmm. instead of society's gender identities i think i haven't really looked very but that's what it's brought about in me to contemplate the ways that i've accepted you know or not accepted that I, you know for instance i'm a big dude and most people say okay well that's what you are you're like you're a lumberjack you know <laughs> and yet i don't and feel that's like okay it that is fine but that's not how i feel most right. of the time. When I was a kid, even though everybody kept telling me you're bigger than average, uh-huh. you're taller than average, you're heavier than average, if somebody fucks with you, you ought to just be able to knock them down and sit on them or, <laughs> di- you know, but that isn't how I felt. How I felt was like I was a little girl, <laughs> you know, I like I felt very scared of physical confrontation. Interesting. I was scared both of how 
I was scared of I didn't want to hurt anybody. Right. I didn't like enjoy the idea of punching somebody in the face. I tried it because I'd read it in comic books and seen it in cowboy movies. Uh-huh. And it didn't feel good. Right. To feel my knuckles connect with somebody's teeth and yeah. their jaw. And it didn't feel good. Not only did it hurt my knuckles, but it felt put a sick feeling through me to strike someone mm-hmm. like that. Um but you know, for a very I felt like I'm not right. I didn't even have like sexuality issues. I felt like I wasn't right because I didn't want to be a man the way that people were telling me I was supposed to be a man, yeah. which is vicious, right. violent, mm-hmm. cruel, like tough. Right. All this. I mean, I was, I could be tough in certain ways, but there was a lot of sensitivity mm-hmm. in me and a lot of like, you know, stuff that the label is crybaby, mm-hmm. you know, like mama's boy, mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. And there's no room. There wasn't room for that in the 70s when I was growing. I didn't feel like, even though Free yeah. to Be You and Me had Rosie Greer telling me it was all right to cry, which is, that was my favorite song, by the way, when nice. I was in kindergarten. But, you know, to explore what is, we take for granted so much of that stuff as being, our society has programmed it onto us, but we don't, and we don't question all of the nuances of it. You know, we might question the direct things, like you're compelled, you're like, you know what your sexuality is, and you're like, I am, I, you went through your entire, you know, spiritual developmental phase and said, I don't belong here because the message I'm getting, part of the message here is mm-hmm. that I'm not right. Right. And that's obviously not right for me mm-hmm. to be here and I'm not right when I'm in there. But after we get past sexuality and who you're attracted to, you know, there's a whole lot of other gender role shit mm-hmm. that's, you know, to be explored and to be contemplated and wonder how am I being, you know, held back by the things that I have just allowed myself to be held back by because I never even I never even questioned the pronoun. Right. You know? Right. Well there was I mean uh, mm, that's such a complex topic. It is. I'm afraid to even say anything. Go for it. What the No, I don't I well and it's also like which of these gazillion thoughts that are swirling around are gonna come out. I know what you mean. This is especially like that for me today talking to you because there's a whole lot of subtext going through my head. For yeah. Lots of, lots of subtext for it's lots of like, reasons. But. Like we didn't, didn't know that you could question the pronoun though, right? It's like this is black, this is white, you're a he, this is I she. I never saw any value you have a penis, in that. so you're a right. he. She has right. a vagina, so it's a she. So there's no way to question that. And it's also – The question is also God, why is that it, constructive? I didn't really understand that. Right. Mm-hmm. And even now it's – for me, it's kind of like I have no issue with my pronoun. I feel like a guy. I mean, he. I'm okay mm-hmm. with that. Like, there's no problem there for me. But it's uh, it's interesting because it's the person. That, sorry, no damn problem. it. Um, <laughs> That's about, podcast verite. Yeah. I like it. I like mm-hmm. and just smack the microphone around. Um, I talk about labels a lot. I guess like this guy I've been seeing. Like, See, and again, that's a label that we don't actually use, but it's like just the easiest way to describe it. Guy or seeing? (laughs) Seeing. Uh Um, So it's like, what is, and it's like, at some point, I was like, I want to, I don't want a definition. I thought I needed a definition. Like in my 20s, I'd be like, no, we need to, I need a label for this so I know how to address it. But now it's like, I don't need a label, but I do need a set of expectations from both sides. Like if you're going out of the country for three weeks for work, I want to know what's expected of right. me while you're gone right. and what I can expect of you while you're right. gone. Like, are we exclusive? Can I go do whatever else? Right. Are you going to like, right. and, and I don't need to say this is my boyfriend, but I do need to know what to expect. Right. So it seems 
uh, and I'm not trying to speak for these people at all, but from my perspective, looking at that movement, if that's an okay word to use to describe that, is that some people, sometimes a label, with a label comes a set of expectations, and that makes it easier. Like if he were like, okay, let's get engaged, you're my fiance, mm-hmm. then there's this set of, great, then we're going to get married at some point. Right. That's a level of expectation that right. goes with that. You're my boyfriend, great, we're totally exclusive, we will spend time right. together and not even look at anybody else. That's an expectation there. We are fuck buddies. Great. Mm-hmm. So we just have sex and that's it. There's a level of expectation there. So labels make it easier. And for us, so far, it seems to be working at least okay to not have an actual label, but just a set of expectations. Um, so for the people that feel like they're the he or she pronoun does not identify them. Um, for, God, I thought I had a point and maybe I've just like no, wandered you, too far away from it. No, <laughs> but it's like having a different word or even a lack of a word because they feel that a set of expectations is not applicable to their right. gender. Or if they have Z or Z and that just, that has a list of expectations that goes with this or trans guy or trans gal, if that's a thing that has a list of expectations that describes them, maybe that's a thing that's helpful for them in a way to respond to the world, to deal with the world, to be dealt with by the world. But it's also so complicated. Mm-hmm. And even at some point, like a year or so ago, I was about to go on this date with someone that I met on OkCupid and all of a sudden it's like an hour before the date and I get this message and it's like oh you're okay with trans right and I was like what and I mean that seemed like something that at some point in the many conversations we had had that would have come up and it's like I can be and so then like furiously googling like what does this mean right and so it was a very interesting experience and a challenging one because like just trying to find information and because it's something we're still learning about and still something that's still at least the knowledge of is still evolving and growing and shifting. And a, a lot of those words have a uh, an amoebas kind of meaning. Maybe that's not the right word, but no, the meaning that kind I'm, of shifts and changes like amorphous means, there. Thank you. Mm-hmm. And it means something to th- means this to this person and this to that person. And it's like we don't even seem to have yet found a set of words that have a common definition. So it's really hard to talk about it um, because if words don't mean the same thing, then it's like, I don't, you say this word and I think it means that, but you think it means this. And then there's a misunderstanding and la la la. Those are my thoughts. About yeah. It. So, you know, and what I get from that, um, what I thought your point was going to be is that, you know, in, in helping you to def- be able to function in your relationship uh-huh. and to function the other things you need to do so that you're not thinking about your relationship all the time. You need a roadmap, you know? Sure. You need, and, and, um, I think, I mean, the people that are exploring this right now are exploring this because I think a lot of people come into a certain age and feel like something's been done to them by their parents or by society. Sure. And like, there's an initial phase of, re- we call it rebelling, but it, there's a certain sort of outrage when you, I think, realize that, um, well, it feels like what we have come to agree on so that we can get past shit, all right? Because, yes, words mean so many different things. And words are just monkey sounds that we have given meaning, <laughs> you know? And they're really not the thing, you know? And if you want to go nuts to pulling, you know, contemplating and pulling them apart, you'll get fucking nothing done, you know? It, if you do that with language, if you do that with your relationship, you know, we've come up with stuff as a human um, society 
that we can get past this defining your fucking terms constantly so we can get something done, mm-hmm. right? But it doesn't feel that – at a point of your developmental education, you feel like, holy shit, I as this free – being you know as this undefined being was defined by all of these people before i even had any say in it mm-hmm. and there and there could be some anger sure there, and then a desire to start you know going at the whole fucking production hammer and tongs and tearing it down right and seeing it as a as a righteous crusade mm-hmm. to stop that from going on any further and uh, of course i'm not there now i'm 45 and now i see that everybody was doing the best they could and this is a collaborative effort that's gone on for a very very long time to come up with all of this so that we can just say could you hand me that hammer you know right then, right <laughs> right what, yeah what's a hammer <laughs> you know we need to get past that you yeah know? Um, yeah. But at the same time, we need to be mindful. Our, the richness of our experience comes from contemplating that it's sure. not a hammer, you right. know, and that is a meaningful thing to say that it is actually that it's like that aborigine story. Supposedly, a colonial person went, you know, to Australia uh-huh. and encountered an aborigine person and they had gotten to the point where they could in- communicate, uh-huh. you know, like you could, some English and stuff. And had, they saw a kangaroo. And he asked your aborigine, is like, what do you call that? And the aborigine said, kangaroo. And this is probably bullshit, but I like it anyway. Um, he said, okay, so that's called a kangaroo. And then came to find out later on in that, that language, it meant, I don't know either. You know, huh. I, don't, <laughs> I don't know what you call that, you know. And the idea that, you know, that the naming and the labeling of a thing defines it and that you have the – that, that it was a cultural understanding of a, of a European Westerner that that's mm-hmm. what you do. You taxonomize everything. You put it all in these fucking boxes and you yeah. pin it to this and you, you know, you put it all in its place and that there could be a culture that says it's not valuable to do that. You limit your ability to experience the thing that's jumping around uh-huh. with a pouch mm-hmm. and all of that. So you, you, it's without doing a number on yourself, you got to take the time to explore your assumptions about these things you know and so being sure. mindful of language can help you you know not you know do that like just say no why why do i choose to call boyfriend you know or right. or lover or husband mm-hmm. you know and why do i as a person who have rebelled so much against mm-hmm. the conventions of society that now feel it's so important to be recognized in this traditional way as a marriage you know and and use those names you know <laughs> Well, there's some- you want to say fuck you to society, want society to <laughs> embrace you, you know, it's. Mm, that was a complicated statement. That was, but at least I want to. <laughs> Can we take a potty break? Is that a thing that's possible? It is, yes. You know, we used to, I used to end this with, uh, I got pissed bad as a motherfucker. Well, thank can- So, you're back from the bathroom. Indeed, it was lovely. Thank you. Yeah. I, I thought about cleaning it a little for you. I thought there was a chance you might end up using that, so. I hope it was – I didn't really get in there, but I, I gave it a spot shine. It was a very functional experience. Very good, very good. Not not a typical men's bathroom there? Is it somewhere in between, you think? What does that mean? Typically, yeah. It's <laughs> typically, you know, culturally you go into a bachelor's bathroom. It's You can see from where you're standing that the commode could use some attention. Yeah. <laughs> There's not a woman's touch around there. Yeah, I, I don't know what to do with that. I, I try so to. Now keep, we're back on these gender roles. Yeah. Well, we haven't left them. I don't think that's Wait, probably true. 
we live in them every day. But you know the so the the first part of the Bible, right? Like talks about there was just nothing, right? Uh-huh. And then there was the word, you know. Uh-huh. And and the word, you know, sort of like dividing that's that divides the this from that, you know. And that's the beginning of 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 land and and air and sea and all of that stuff is the beginning of naming it. Mm-hmm. You know, that it is this raw material in the beginning until it starts being named, you know. And I think it is constructive to contemplate these roles, not through anger and outrage, but is to say that what's available to us, kind of like that thing about the kingdom of heaven is laid out before you, you do not see it, you know, is to recognize that language is a tool, but you can't let it be how you see everything, you know. Mm-hmm. And you have to be open to see more than language is pointing at, you know, not with anger, but as it's an opportunity (laughs) again, like we were saying, it's not a problem. It's an opportunity. It's not, we, you recognize the language is limited and Mm -hmm. it's just a tool. Sure. It's not reality. It does not define anything. Like you have to have your own definition and you have to give yourself the freedom to interpret the text the way that you want to interpret it. But in order to, and I've had this conversation with a few people, and I'm sure they found it very frustrating. But I was—I get very frustrated when people decide, <clears throat> seemingly arbitrarily, that this word just means something else because it's what they want to say in that moment to describe this thing. Right. And it's like, or when I, because sometimes, maybe not always, but sometimes I'm very specific in word choice. And I will say, this is this thing. And they're like, oh, you just mean it's just like this. I'm like, no, if I meant that, I would have used that word. But right. I didn't use this one, which has a rather different definition. Right. They may be synonyms according to the dictionary. And at some point, I mean, you have to – we agree to use a common language so that we can communicate with each other. And I'm not saying there's not value in analyzing that or interpreting that but at some point you have to agree that the hammer is the hammer so that when you say hand me the hammer you get what you need so that you can keep moving mm-hmm. forward and keep building something but you know you were saying that trying to figure out the language of what does it mean what does transgender mean what does transsexual mean what does transvestite mean what is gay what is like what is bi what is what is all of this stuff yeah that that's we're, so we're having that dialogue around th- those issues right now but what does it all of this shit mean? Like, what does intimacy mean? Just in the traditional sense, sure. you know, what does marriage mean in the traditional mm-hmm. sense? And I don't mean like as defined by God or defined by the state. I mean as defined when you two are laying in the bed with your heads on the pillows at night. You know, what if does that's that something fucking you do mean? Yeah, really. Do you <laughs> have to sleep in the same bed? Right. Do you have to sleep in the same room? <clears throat> and I guess you know. Depending on who you're trying to communicate with, you know, because people definitely, when I'm talking to my sister, I use a word that I think is a very clear word to describe something. Her associations with that word are not the same as mine, and she gets pissed, you know, and that's my sister. (laughs) Like, I share genetic material with her, Uh you know, and, you know... And we can barely get anywhere because – and I think she's also assuming – it might be because she's my sister. She's assuming I'm coming from a certain place and that every word that I might be using would be pointed at fucking with her or you know, being a big brother bully or uh-huh. whatever. But um, 
we have to recognize the in, in essential nature of this stuff and that it's not the naming and labeling of it. It's the experience of it. You know, it's the real communion of it. And that is partly respecting that a person doesn't agree with you in how they define this word, you know, and that there has to be a dialogue about the dialogue. What is the word? <laughs> love. What we talk about when we talk about love. You Interesting. Know? You know, the <laughs> that kept popping into my head because, you know, that's in Birdman. Have you seen that? I've only seen part of it. I oh, my God. I can't it. believe I you know. haven't watched it like I six know. times. The, the, you know, the... Uh, what the fuck are we talking about? When we talk about love, you know, and what are we, you know? Yeah, that's over. I had that conversation with someone recently. And it's like that's not a that's not allowed. And I'm like, well, that's a thing that exists, but it's not allowed. And it's like, but but it's important to me to be able to communicate that that's a thing that's there, mm-hmm. whether it's acceptable in this these parameters or not. It's still there, and it only seems fair to say it's there and not try to hide that. Mm-hmm. And even acknowledging that, and I'm not saying that it's there to hear it back because I acknowledge that that's not a thing that's going to happen likely, but I feel like it's fair to communicate where I'm coming from Mm -hmm. and put that on, just be like, there's this thing. I'm not trying to be manipulative at all. I'm not trying to get a response, an affirmative response that you feel the same way. But that's a thing. And it is a hard thing to talk about because it's like, you know, in English class in high school, we talked about, like, we have this one word. We have love. Like, Greeks had three, and they meant three different Mm -hmm. types of love. Yeah. And so, like, what does it mean? It's like... Eros, uh, agape. uh Uh-huh. And... Something... Philios. Something like that. That's brotherly love. I, I think love for... Agape is sort of... All love, yeah. I think, and Eros, of course, is sexual desire, love. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. We have the one word, and they we don't consider it nuanced, right? Yeah. Except it clearly means something different. When I'm like, when a person says, "I love everybody," versus to their partner, "I love you," those are two different. Uh huh. And then their partner can say, "No, you don't," because you didn't do this thing that I you said you would do, right? You know, right? And you say, well, that's not my language of love. You know, that's I, love isn't fulfilling a Christmas list, you know, right. for you. But for some people it might be. So here we go back to that very thing that we were talking about in the beginning, whether or not you can really be friends with somebody if you can't be honest with them. Right. And, like, if you're honest with someone and they go away, you know, and you say this is what I need and this is what I believe and mm-hmm. this is how I feel and they go away, then you're – and this is the hardest place to accept that because you can kind of let a friend go away. But a lover, you know, when they go away because you were honest, you, right. that you're talk about being afraid of something, you know, you right. really, <laughs> right. That well, does that, not is, seem like a, a good bargain. Is that know? harder because it's generally speaking or for most people, for a lot of people in this culture, oh, so many qualifiers that you have one lover. But you have lots of friends. So being honest with a friend and saying these are the things I need and that person going away, is that more palatable because you know that you have others? And with the lover, it's like I failed at this aspect of my life. Like I will never have another partner because I failed. 
because this person left me because I, I was think open. That's a big part of it. I also think it's the rejection of the ego. It's the rejection of the constructed self. But do you not have the same thing to, that happens to the ego with a friend leaves? Yeah, but it's just not as because you don't make yourself physically vulnerable with a friend the way that you do with a lover. Sure. And so you know to to spread your legs for someone or to you know and and you know to give someone your best. Right. You know, in that, in regard and try, if, if it does make you, give you pleasure, give someone else pleasure to open yourself to possibly failing mm-hmm. at that. Sure. You know, to get up on stage, you know, <laughs> and uh, flub your lines mm-hmm. or, or, uh, you know, um, choke. Right. Uh, you know, that's, that's putting your ego in the crosshairs, the constructive self, because you can, with a person, you can put, come off as whatever the fuck you want to come off as, but when you take off your clothes and get in the bed and it's time to get down to business, yeah. you know, you might find out that you're not who you think you are. Or, mm-hmm. and they might find out that you're not who they think they are. And there's just, that's, that's a whole. So when you're in that place with somebody, that vulnerability and mm-hmm. that, that kind of intimacy, mm-hmm. and then, and you're afraid of them going away, you're, that part of you that most of us are not, do not have a comfortable relationship with is getting rejected. Right. And that's real distracting and uncomfortable Uh so um we strive very hard to keep that illusion up i think with a person even when it's not working out because we don't we don't want to answer all the questions that it raises you know like when it doesn't work out Mm -hmm. does it mean i suck did it mean i suck in bed does it mean that i am an asshole or a bitch does it mean that i'm crazy Mm -hmm. does it you know you don't want to have to get into all of these does it means right you know so you're just not honest right or you try to bargain and you know but I think, like, I know for me and I know for a lot of people I've talked to lately, I think it's, you know, a big place to, that we're all challenged is to say I am better off alone than with somebody that I shouldn't – that we don't agree about right. these things. Sure. Absolutely. You know? That's a really hard – I mean, you can intellectually agree that that makes sense logically, but when it actually means that person's back going through the door, you know, and now that person you've started to bond with because mm-hmm. you're – you know, leaving, that's like getting a, you know, hunk of skin peeled off. Right. <laughs> yeah, depending on your level of investment there, I guess. I think it can happen at a fairly mi- – as long as you've had sex with them, it can happen at a pretty mild level of investment subconsciously, sure. you know. But is that actually a mild investment? Even if it was, quote, unquote, just sex, didn't I, you yeah, at I some really subconscious level really There's no more? such thing as just sex to me, you know. There's that. There's, there's – you that. you – you go there with somebody, you may have many layers of co- construct and denial uh-huh. and whatever. Yeah. I don't give a shit. I've had enough experience in this life that when you lay with someone, mm-hmm. you know, that is, there's, you have crossed a line, sure. you know, into something that you can't come back from. Right. And depending on your level of sociopathy or <laughs> will, you can stuff it in various places, but it always means something. Sure. You know. And that's a chemical thing. It's like stuff right. you don't have any choice about. It's animal shit that is that lays beneath the conscious mm-hmm. mind and all of that. Indeed. Yeah, but um, yeah, it's um, I think you know the the plays the thing. You know, it's that is a great place to explore this stuff without having to inv- you know invest in the vulnerability. You know, this is the make or break thing in real life. You know, you can get up there and you can watch some other people do it, you know, <laughs> you sure. unless you're doing it. You and know? then it's then it yeah. is sometimes as vulnerable as real life or maybe more so. Mm-hmm. I don't know. There was a 
tying that back together with the religion thing. Mm-hmm. When we were doing a bright new Boise at Firehouse a few years ago, and it was playing this evangelical um, religious guy who had, had come to reunite with his son <clears throat> that he hadn't seen in 17 years. And several scenes are of this guy who's like the, the introduction, the beginning of the play is this guy standing alone in a parking lot just saying now, now, mm-hmm. five times now. And that happens several times through the play. And then the end of the play is him again now, just that now, mm-hmm. eight times. And we discover through the play, eventually in the play, what the hell is going on there. And it's him begging for the rapture to come. Mm. And through, like, this is hard. Oh, I'm going to reveal more about myself than I would like to. So <sighs> that I used to have this, and still with some people, but I used to have this, a friend of mine at some point when I started, I didn't, I moved away to New York and got my equity card and came back and didn't get work for a while. And then I finally was like, all right, I'm going to just resign from the union because I missed working as an actor. So I got this gig and I was telling my friend about it and she was like, just so you're aware, <laughs> you have a pretty, you have a reputation of being really difficult to work with. And I was like, what? Like, I don't see myself as a bad person or as being hard. I mean, who would want, if you perceived yourself as that, surely you wouldn't continue to do it. Right. So I've actively worked really hard at <clears throat> fixing that. And some would say that I haven't, I'm sure. Um, but I think I've discovered that as an actor, in order to do my job, I have to be incredibly vulnerable and like open myself up to the scene partners and to the director and whatever. And then when, because I'm so vulnerable, if I feel like the safety net being the scene partners, the director, the team, whatever, if I get dropped, just metaphorically, like, you know, I call for, you know, we're getting off book and in order, if you forget a line, you say line in rehearsal and the stage manager gives you a line. If you say line and then there's silence you feel like you just got dropped on your head. Mm-hmm. And so then hurt becomes anger and then anger becomes yelling and, and then you're difficult to work with. Uh-huh, and uh-huh. so, and coming to that awareness that part of why I was so at a time and sometimes am more, I've been told by actors that respect me and that like to work with me that I am a challenging director or that I'm, harder than some other directors or even as an actor i'm like more quote-unquote needy or require more and again continually working on not having that be a thing but to some extent it's like but i do need these things it's like again being vulnerable and saying this is what i need out of this relationship Mm -hmm. even a working one um and it's like being vulnerable enough to do that and then so in bright new boise there was some point in the rehearsal process that i walking to rehearsal one day and I was like, what if I'm wrong about this leaving the church thing? Mm -hmm. And it was so convicted by inhabiting, which is a crazy word for this, but inhabiting this role and playing this character's objectives and being vulnerable enough to allow myself to go there that in my real life as Billy Christopher started to question if the last 10 years I was just wrong. And like, Mm -hmm. what if there is this, biblical god and what if i don't do these things what if when the rapture comes i'm gonna go in that direction and it was very unnerving to have like built for 10 years like this very solid no i don't believe in these things and all of a sudden being vulnerable enough in that role to to take on 
the qualities of that person, the needs of that person. And then to have that affect the real life to that extent was terrifying. <laughs> it, well, it makes me think of two very, two things. And you know, that you ended that with terrifying is, is part of it is that, you know, when you have, you know, what's going through your head when you got, if you say, for instance, you called for that line and it wasn't there mm-hmm. and you would assume that anyone would understand why that would be a big deal. And, you know, you would be very angry when that wasn't there for you and wasn't right. available. This person left you hung, hung out to dry. Mm-hmm. And that touches deeply in a whole lot of insecurity and fear. Sure. And mo- most, I know I am my most angry and it, when I'm most afraid. Sure. Yeah. Know? Yeah, totally. You know, and that's really the source of my anger. Mm-hmm. I'm not a psychopath and a vicious person, but I can fucking Clearly. sound like one <laughs> when I'm scared. You sure. Know? And, yeah. and the person who has just scared me doesn't know that that's what's happened. They right. just hear me yelling at them. Right. You know, and it's a real, that's an opportunity to be aware at the same time, when you're making yourself vulnerable, you have to have boundaries so that, yeah, you put something out there and one person's opinion of that was that you're difficult to work with. You can hold that up across the line of the boundary where it's not getting into altering your belief, you know, 100% about yourself and still take it into consideration. Sure. You know? I think there's also a difference between – because the, at the time that I – there was apparently a pervading – so it's good to, the idea good that, to know. that that was yeah, and so it's but like that doesn't well, I mean don't... it's always valid, you know, right? But I think in that at that time it was valid because it wasn't one person; it was mm-hmm. like a general. That was kind of the word on the street, right? Right. And so that didn't come from one person; that came from a series. But of But only things. one person had the guts to. Yeah, this tell amazing you. friend that was like, mm-hmm. "I want you to know that this is a thing that 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 exists," and it was like. Mm-hmm. That's incredibly hurtful, and I really appreciate you sharing that with me so that I can – and she did share it so that I could be aware of it and I could fix it. And I have spent a great deal of time working on fixing it and also being clear about you know, about my needs. And it's like I'm going to – here's the heads up. I'm going to be off book today. Mm-hmm. I really need you yeah. to be there for me mm-hmm. because it's going to suck. So if- when you're vulnerable and you fr- do that on the front end instead of waltzing into it, you know, with just expecting that everybody has expect- the same philosophy as yeah. you, which they don't, even though in some cases they should like basic training should dictate that certain jobs in the should, theater should. work and exactly, but they don't. <laughs> right. And there's also a lot of like as a director. So I read a lot of, you know, books on directing, which clearly you talk a lot about psychology and dealing with people. Right. And so, and they, a lot of them talk about that day that actors are off book and need a line and how important it is psychologically to have that to line for them because them. of just that thing mm-hmm. and also like saying yes to actors ideas because if you just say no then eventually they just shut off like all these things so it's kind of been an <laughs> almost a detriment as an actor to learn more about directing uh, yeah. and how it's then it's like well i expect it's, this from confusing. everybody and then it's you know sometimes sometimes and there's some there i'm not there are lots of really amazing artists in richmond like an abundance it's kind of baffling but in those moments where you know the stage manager has it's they're not their sole job is not to be on script for me like they have other right. things they have to do and so right. in that moment that i call for line they may have the director may be asking them to write to jot down a three word note and it just then they have to get and it's not like they really you know it's not like god you suck at your job it's, it's about, just that i didn't get what i needed right and it's what like, about you ah. that time 
is about something bigger. And yeah, I mean, that's so you, you know, when those things happen, we definitely, when a person tells you something like that and you connect it to that event and you see where you have could have made another choice, mm-hmm. that's all very valuable and stuff. But then you can't go around doing your uh, second guess every fucking thing you do. And just because one person's right. opinion, um, and I, I've been, this is a little mantra of mine that I got from the dude and I don't know why I just started using it, but like I start thinking about something somebody has said to me and it's, and I like, you know, it's hurting me and I'm agonizing and I go, well, that's just like your opinion, man, you know? <laughs> and like that, you know, that's, that is, that's just another confused, lost, you know, struggling human being. And that was their definition. That's their understanding of that. But word, is their you know? experience not valid? No, it's just not more valid than mine. Ah, you know, mm-hmm. you can't. And that's where codependency emerges. You know, is that you just constantly let the other person define right. for you, right? Whether it's the person you're in an intimate relationship with, or people you're working with, or your family, or whatever, you don't. There isn't any strong sense of this is my conviction mm-hmm. around this, and uh, out here where it meets the world and meets other people. There's there's a boundary. There's some there is some fortification, but there's also some porousness. Uh-huh. And I can like you know I can allow for these opinions and do some research and go you know that one turns out to be quite valid and I can do something different. This other one though, that person's an asshole or that yeah. person's crazy or that person has expectations that are not reasonable of me. Mm-hmm. You know, and and it's real hard to know that stuff without telling the truth mm-hmm. too. You know, it's hard to. I mean, the, my phase of exploration now is really telling a lot of talking, to, you know, understanding but unaffected people about these kinds of things and going, oh, yeah, I, I see that that why would that might be the prevailing opinion. And I do have some choices there, uh-huh. you know, I could do something differently. But it's a balance. All of this shit is sure. a balance. Sure. And that, that thing you said about the rapture, too, you know, I, I heard a story about a person who believed very strongly that the rapture was coming at, in the year 2000. Mm-hmm. And yet, you know, I got to know members of that person's family and everything. And I was in the house that he built. And I said, oh, this is a wonderful house. You start building it and blah, 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 a year. And like, wait a minute. So he thought that the rapture was coming. He started building a house in 1999. You know, and I think <laughs> interesting, you know, that's the, the thing is not to say that that was bullshit is that, you know, maybe that is what's going to happen. But just in case you might need a house right. and, you know, <laughs> you know, build. Nobody knows the answer to these things. So if you're building a life that um, would still conform to the values of a, a omniscient being, you know, really, when it comes down to it. Like, are you compassionate? Are you good? You're you nice as you can be. You can still mm-hmm. be building that house without being in the church, mm-hmm. you know, without mm-hmm. necessarily buying into the dogma and all of that other shit, you know. I'm not real worried that I'm going to hell even though I'm not sitting in a church because the things that I've been t- if there is, turns out there is such a thing, you know, turns out I think it's really here and now in this, in my life, mm-hmm. but... Let's just say there is some place of inter- eternal damnation, you know. I don't think that it has to do with all of these weird rules about where, what kind of hat you wear and, you know, <laughs> script and all that kind of shit. It has to do with all the stuff that's pointing at. 
mm-hmm. you know, which is compassion, understanding, forgiveness. Sure. You know, try not to hurt people. Yeah. All that kind of shit. I think if you're doing that, you're, you're good, you know. And the Buddhists say, you know, do not confuse the finger pointing at the moon with the moon, you know. And I think Christians <laughs> could listen to that mm-hmm. too because the moon you're being pointed at is, you know – is very different from the pageantry and prejudice and and human limitations that have gone on in the organization of religion, you know, an organized religion. You know, the message is pretty clear, even to me who hasn't sat in a church in quite some time, that you're supposed to be generous and loving and charitable and, you know, and yet I don't see the people that are really into that spending a lot of time on that. They're going to tell other people how to live. That's a, you know? that's I, that's some some people. That's true. No, right, right. You're right. I didn't mean to say it that way. It's definitely plenty of people in Christian churches that do get it. Sure. You know, and they're doing the right. They're doing. They 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 are living as as excellent examples of that example. That right. Possibly, yeah. You know? Yeah. It is hard when they're that sometimes it seems like the ones that are not are the loudest, whether they are the loudest right. or we perceive them to be the loudest because it's the most frustrating. But it's, I mean, there's definitely a lot of, I have like a lot, clearly, I mean, we're in America, so a lot of my friends are Christians and are really amazing people. So it's, I would never want to like... Alienate them. Like put down their belief system because mm-hmm. that's what works for them. And I think that's great. Cause, and I just found something else that works for me and it's kind of like, as long as it's all leading different paths to the same place... As long as we're all being good people or striving, striving to be good people, then maybe that's okay. Yeah. It's just hard to be really mindful of that when you have engaged in a system that you don't know is a system and you've given yourself over to the system instead of the the purpose of the system. Yeah. And I know I got to be mindful about that. You know, sure. I got to be aware of that. And, and my systems are different. <laughs> I mean, in my, my religion, like has been career, you know, just like trying to, in a very real way, it's almost like Protestant work ethic shit, mm-hmm. you know, that I fucked up my selfishness and bad behavior and all of this stuff for so many years of my life resulted in material issues like debt and, you know, um, not making any progress there. So I've put all of my, like that's the outward manifestation mm-hmm. for me of me doing right is to be doing well at my job, to be making money, to be putting it in the bank, you know, doing all of that stuff. And I had got so focused on that system that I became on unaw- I lost my awareness for like, you know, how I'm treating people around me mm-hmm. while that's going on, whether it's the people that are under me that I manage, you know, or mm-hmm. people that were trying to live alongside me while I'm doing it, you know. So you always got to take a step back. Yeah, definitely. That's, that's what this is all about. Well, man, I think this is a good place. We're coming up on the the two-hour wow. mark. And I, I speaking of work, I have a lot of things that I need to start <laughs> worrying about or doing something about so I don't have to worry about them. It's good to do. Thanks for coming over, man. Thanks for having me. This was fun. Yeah. Challenging and, and fun. And uh, I look for, you have a website for Fifth Wall. Yeah. If people want to explore further what you're doing with mm-hmm. that. And Carrie is running how much longer uh next weekend runs through saturday okay shit i'm not gonna see it damn you well i could come see it saturday there you go can you put me on the guest list yeah all right cool later
Whoa, whoa, here I am. Sorry about that. <clears throat> so, I was fucking up, and I don't feel like starting over again. Hey, you guys, go see, uh, go see Carrie, the musical. You got three days to see it by Saturday. Check it out. And be on the lookout for other stuff that PC does, because he's an incredibly talented actor, and he's a great director, and, um... I intend to do it, and and be be aware that this town is got some fucking amazing theater shit going on in it. You know, I spent a long time living here, not checking that shit out, and it's. I mean, goddamn. I mean, it's like I mean, if you like fucking movies, you like watching Netflix and shit. Go sit in a goddamn theater and really like have the fucking high octane version of that because. It ain't passive, you know. Yeah, you're you're watching, but they know you're there, you know. You're in get you're part of it, man. You're making it happen. It's like a artistic sangha, you know. Like it's nothing if you're not there. Whereas a fucking TV show or a movie, it's I can play to an empty room. It doesn't make any fucking difference. It's the same movie. It's like a Schrodinger's cat kind of thing, right? Like there's or a tree falls in the woods and what. And I don't know where I'm going with that, but if you're, you know, when you're, when you go see theater and there are people up there committed to exploring this stuff and being vulnerable and, and, you know, channeling something, you, you're part of that channel and there's stuff to receive. It is, that is also a tantric thing. It's a guru to a guru type close teaching experience. You know, and I, I really highly recommend it. I mean, stop fucking around. Go see some plays in this town. Go see Shakespeare at Agecroft. You know, go to the Fifth Wall stuff. Um, there's lots of other things. Get get your ass in them seats. You know, they need you there, and it's worth it. I'm not talking about some charity shit. I'm talking about some good shit. And I have to thank uh, Miss Morgan Stone Smith for turning me on to local theater. Uh, if it hadn't been for her, I'd probably still be just as ignorant as most people are in this town. So, thank you all. Namaste, motherfucker.